Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, today I'm here with Dan of Gladiator. What's up, what's up? Gladiator. Like that movie with Russell Crowe. Yeah, that's actually how you came up with the name, right? With your friend. <laughs> it is, yeah. We were a little uh, little stony baloney sitting around the couch after a summer of, uh, or after, I think it was like right when we got done with senior year. And we were just sitting around eating snacks, being stony baloney, and we were watching the movie Gladiator. And our friend David was like, yo, I got a crazy idea, man. We're doing this music stuff. Let's just be three people from the movie Gladiator. We'll call ourselves Gladiator. <laughs> and we were like, David. That's a great idea, dude. I love it. And then, you know, 10 years later, here we are. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it was fun. So you were born in LA, right? Uh, technically, I was born on the East Coast. I was born oh. in Stamford, Connecticut, but I moved to LA when I was one. So I don't really have a memory of that time on the East Coast. But yeah. I have roots there, my extended family's on the East Coast. But I've been in LA as long as I can remember. Yeah. So I've been, you know, I've been in the Hollywood area since I was literally one years old. So, you know. No, I'm not an original seed <laughs> from the year. ground of Los Angeles, but I've been here for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What made your parents move out here? Uh, actually, it was my dad. My dad uh, used to write television. He was a writer on a show called Dinosaurs back in the oh. day. It was a show with like animatronic dinosaurs and yeah. the family and the baby with like the pans, like not the mama, like smacks the dad. <laughs> so that's what that's what brought us out to Los Angeles, and it also inspired my huge fear of dinosaurs when I was a child. Oh my God. <laughs> was he doing some of that stuff since like Connecticut? Kind of. I mean, he always wanted to be a writer. He loved writing oh. and was writing, you know, just silly bits. He actually, his first job as a writer, yeah. there was a, there was like a Chuck E. Cheese in Connecticut. And him and his writing partner, they were like, we want to write these bits for these like animals and stuff like that. They're yeah. going to make jokes in the store. And he's like, all right, so when we go in, we're going to tell them we want $5,000 for all five bits. And we're not going to ask for a penny less. And the guy's like, and he's, his partner's like, okay, cool. So they go into the guy. <laughs> The boss is reading the scripts, and they're sitting there, and he's like, all right, I like these scripts. How much do you yeah. want? My dad says, 5000 Yeah. And the boss guy goes, each? Like, for each script? And my dad says, sure. Yes. <laughs> the guy goes, all right, let's drive a tough bargain, but I'm down. And so <laughs> my dad came out making five times more than he did, and he thought, maybe this writing thing might work out. Oh, my God. That's so cool. How about your mom? Um, my mom has always been a freelance writer. She was working for like People Magazine for a little while and, and you know, doing interviews and talking to different kinds of people, hence the magazine. Yeah. <laughs> but not in Connecticut. She was working for a couple of newspapers and stuff, but when she came to L.A., that's when she really started getting into reporting and journalism and stuff like that. Oh, okay. She was actually at the O.J. Simpson trial, like <gasps> way back in the day. What? Yeah, I know, right? Did she tell you much about it? Um... She was just kind of there. She was yeah. in. She was like in the courtroom. She wasn't like interviewing OJ or anything like that. She was yeah. just like reporting on the situation for people. So yeah. to her, she was like, it was boring as hell. I was in fucking jury duty all day, basically. Oh my god. Yeah, but it was, but in retrospect, pretty crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> How do you describe yourself back then, growing up? I don't know. Kind of a shit little kid. No, I was all right. I mean, like, I loved sports. I loved Power Rangers. I loved, uh, you know, loved cartoons and all that. And. Um, that was pretty much it. I was just kind of like a kooky kid. I loved, you know, doing weird... I loved doing sports and that kind of stuff. What I don't know. I felt sports? like I had a very average childhood. <laughs> um, I played a lot of soccer. Okay. played a little baseball. I played baseball through t-ball, and then the first yeah. time that I got to coach pitch, when the coach was supposed to be throwing balls at you, like, my first coach got really intense and was like, 
all right, so parents, we need your kids practicing an hour a day, every single day. And my dad was like, you know what? He's still kind of a kid. I don't know if he's really rooting for that. Yeah. And I was like, you know, maybe this is the end of baseball for me. Were you kind but, of competitive, though? Kind of, yeah. I think, you know, I think what really, what I really liked about it was working together. Like, teamwork mm. was a big aspect of it that I really liked. I don't know if it was about me necessarily yeah. being the best that I could be, but working as a team to make something happen, that's what mm -hmm. I always really liked. Were you into school, though? Was I into school? Like, yeah. was I into academics and shit like yeah. that? No. Uh, kind of not really. I mean, you know, I did fine. I was, I was a mediocre to bad student. I got it done, but um, I really liked music. I really liked sports. I really liked, you know, group activities and stuff like that, being with my friends. I mean, like I said, I was like a shit little kid. I'd rather <laughs> hang out with my, my friends than I would, you know, do schoolwork and shit like that. Yeah. And but where do you think you got your music from? I mean, your parents don't really do music. You know, no, you're right. They definitely don't. And neither does anyone else in my family. Damn. But what I will say is that my dad has always had a really particular taste in music. Yeah. He's always like kind of weird stuff. Like he introduced me to funk music. He got me into like Parliament Funkadelic and Herbie Hancock and stuff like that. And then we were both watching TV and there was a Gap commercial way back in the day mm -hmm. where people were on skateboards and there was like spray paint on the bottom of their skateboards. Yeah. And it was to the song Busy Child by uh, Crystal Method off of their album Vegas. It's one of their early albums. Mm -hmm. And like that album, me and my dad just rinsed that album in the car all the time. So like he got me oh, into wow. Crystal Method and like that kind of, um, he got me into that style of, that style of music way, way, way earlier than I thought. So like me liking Crystal Method eventually led to me liking stuff like Daft Punk when I was in oh. high school, which led to me discovering stuff like Justice in like 2007, which led down this whole path of hard dance music and EDM yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Did you play an instrument? I tried out a lot of different instruments. Um, the drums were the ones that really stuck out to oh. me. Like I was a drummer throughout like all of my childhood. Were played guitar a little bit. Then? Kind of actually. <laughs> <laughs> With Ian. Uh, myself, Ian, our other friend David, who was, you know, one of the original members of Gladiator. Oh, really? When we, yeah, yeah, yeah. How old, was, how old were you? All high school. Like, all, like, ninth grade through twelfth okay. grade. We were just, like, there was a, a performance at the high school we went to. It was yeah. called uh, Arts Fair. And the final performance of Arts Fair was just, like, every kid who had a musical act would go up and perform a song. And, like, every year we just did a live rendition of a different hip-hop song. <laughs> like we. <laughs> that sounds cool, though. <laughs> It was cool. It was also super lame. One time, one time we did King Without a Crown by Modest Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And me and my friend David had to have like a sing-off to see which one was going to sing the song. And I was like, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to be the hype man. And I just ran on stage and was like doing hype for like half the lines with a hoodie on. Just being like, yo, 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 where's everybody at? Who's ready for King Without a Crown? It's Modest Yahoo time. And it was just like, oh. Oh my uh, god. Do you still have videos from it? No. No. I mean, no. Definitely not. Those videos don't exist anywhere. Oh my god. What, what is the band name or your trio um, name? I guess you could call us 3DI. 3DI would have been where we were because we, we also had a best friend named Dustin who is yeah. an incredibly talented musician. He's now a studio musician for like Paramount. Like oh, he, wow. He's like an incredibly talented musician. He was the one with all the music talent. He just turned it into being like a studio musician rather yeah. than trying to do this EDM world kind of stuff. But he was an amazing musician. He would help us arrange all these parts and stuff like that. So yeah, 3DI, yeah. David, Daniel, Dustin, and Ian would uh, put on these shows at the end of the year. But so, you, yeah. did you ever put stuff out? No. Yeah, it's just kind no. of... Yeah, it was just, yeah. No, it, was just, it was just those performances at the end of the year. Yeah. What I will say, though, is that like once stuff like GarageBand and Soundtrack and like the first versions of Ableton Live came mm -hmm. out like while we were in high school, we put out uh, two mixtapes of mashups. 
that were yeah. just like original mashups from like way back in the day. They were just like A, B mashups, one song on top of another. But it was like back when Girl Talk was just like oh. first popping and we were like, yo. Okay, so you're telling me you can take the beat of one song, you can take the acapella of another song, you can put them on top of each other and make like a whole new song. And we literally spent like oh months gosh. just making hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> horrible mashups. Really, really bad. Some of them were great. Some of them were like, okay. Like the first one I ever made was Soldier Boy. It was Cranked At Soldier yeah. Boy over Sandstorm. That was the first I'm one. To that was, it. it was. It's probably on live somewhere if I no, YouTube it. Don't do it. <laughs> what I will say though is that at the exact same time, Super Mash Bros. You ever remember them? Yeah. Super Mash. <laughs> Good one, man. Appreciate that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's worst. Um, Super Mash Bros. At the exact same time, made the exact same mashup. So like they had they had like an intro that was like girl talk style, and it mm -hmm. started with cranked at into sandstorm and i was like damn i lost my mashup i thought it was so good i thought it was so original and then it was just gone taken i was like you know what they beat me to it they put it out in a nice they put it in a nice package and that's when i that's when i realized i was like you know what if i want to like do this shit i have to like i gotta do it i can't just make it and show it to my friends and be like look i did it isn't that cool guys it's yeah. like no you gotta like put shit out you gotta mm -hmm. make it happen Actually, it was a decision to always just be in like a duo or a trio. You never considered being a solo artist? That's a really good question. I, I don't know if I ever really considered like doing this as a career. Like when we were just making music at the outset, mm -hmm. just like working together, yeah. it was so much more just about like us helping each other learn and mm -hmm. developing whatever talents we had and like, you know, just falling more in love with Ableton. Yeah. And then eventually, our friend David was like, you know what, I really like this, but I think I want to pursue acting as a career. And we were like, okay, great. We'll just keep doing the music thing and, you know, do whatever. Yeah. And then we started making, you know, remixes and we started making like, you know, mixes, mixes that like people were listening to and receiving attention. And that's when it's, you know, the slow grow of becoming Gladiator started. Yeah. So I, to be honest with you, at the beginning, it really wasn't about like, you know what, let's do this. Let's be DJs. Let's start putting it out. It was just like, we just got more and more comfortable sharing the music that we were making. Yeah. Which I think at the onset was a mistake. Hmm. Like, we couldn't, we shouldn't have just been posting whatever we made and whatever we thought was good at the start. We should have been, like, a little bit more careful. Like, I, you know, if I had the, <laughs> if I had the know-how I do now mm -hmm. with the music I was making back then, I think we would be in a completely different place. Because I would oh. have taken all that music. I would have been like, you know what, don't put that out. Save it. Yeah. Put that off to the side. Save it for later. Package it in something smart. Don't just put it up on SoundCloud and not say anything about <laughs> it. Don't just make an edit in 20 minutes and then like say like, yeah, this is tight. Just put it up there. Yeah, do it. Whatever. Fuck it. <laughs> so, you live, you learn. Yeah. And then you get loves. <laughs> did you go to college on the East Coast? I did. Ian and I both went to college on the East Coast. Oh, I'm sure he'll tell go? you about that. I went to a school called Skidmore College in upstate New York. Okay. And it's just like a small liberal arts school. It's in the Northeast. It's like a little bit south of Albany, which is like, you know, uh, they call it upstate New York, but it's kind of like mid-state New York. Mm -hmm. um, and it was cool. It was cold as fuck. I, uh, you know, I really cut my teeth as a DJ there. That, that was where I was like, I stopped being all about like mashups and like making shitty remixes. And I was like, wait, I can DJ parties and like throw the fuck down and have like a great time. Yeah. So that's when, that's when that really started happening. What did you study there? Pardon me? What did you study there? I was an English major. Oh, like your Dude. parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The same. Exactly. English yeah, exactly. Writing. It's funny. Yeah, my dad. My dad was also an English major. My mom was a sociology major, and so it kind of all you know 
kind of all worked together. He, you know, he turned into writing, she turned into writing, but writing about people. And I've kind of turned my English major into, I don't know, DJing, I guess, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Did you actually generally like English, though? I like did. You wanted a career, like, if it wasn't for music, do you think you'd have a career in English? Not necessarily. But what I did like about English was that it was the kind of topic where it was all about discussion, and it was all about, like, you know, coming to conclusions mm -hmm. together. The, every piece of text you read has multiple interpretations, and those kind of interpretations are based on, you know, your personal experience, where you come from, what you take away from the text. And in that, it was very interesting to me to hear every person's different perspective on, like, what they took from a text. Just because, you know, as you're reading something, what you know about life can or cannot apply to whatever you're reading. But when it does, it completely changes your interpretation of the text. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like someone who's, I'm trying to think of an example. Like someone who's reading like a Tom Clancy novel or something, this is a very basic example. Someone who's reading a Tom Clancy novel that doesn't know anything about war is going to have a very very different interpretation of the text than someone who went to war, someone who's like a, you know, someone who's a veteran who's coming back from a yeah. experience like that. Like, it touches you differently, and you take different things from the text. So that part of English always really enticed me and was just, like, fun to have in class and fun to talk to people about. Yeah. What are your favorite books or authors, then? Well, I have some lame answers and I have some good answers. I mean, my lame answer would just be Bill Watterson, who is the uh, author of Calvin and Hobbes. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, you know, what Calvin introduces in terms of thinking about the world and thinking about the grand scheme of things in a comic strip like that, when it's about, you know, a kid talking to his yeah. stuffed tiger, was always great to me. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, a good answer. I mean, you know, I wrote my senior thesis on Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And Shakespeare is just an incredibly interesting author in that no one really knows who he actually is. There's not a lot of recorded data on the actual person of Shakespeare, blah, 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 other than his works, or their works, rather. And so I love Shakespeare as an author, but also the fact that in their works, uh, he, she, whoever they may be, decided to use the stage and the theater as kind of like a social commentary ground. There are many of their works, his, her, their works, um, that ended with a speech from the final care from one of the characters from the play as kind of like a epilogue to the whole story and Oftentimes they would face the audience with the facts that like look this character that you really love is actually a dude Because back in the day there were no female actresses. There's yeah. no female actors. It was all dudes playing female characters So he would say all of you gentlemen in the audience scared of your sexuality Face the fact that you were falling in love with the dude on stage tonight fact of the matter like, you all fell yeah. in love with the dude. Just face that. And it was a really cool way to challenge these, like, you know, social issues when things like, you know, homosexuality were not even, like... Mm -hmm. We were talking about old days England. People were getting burned at the stake for being yeah. witches. So, like, so. anyone trying to attack social commentary that far back in the day was really impressive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess, you know, kind of a basic answer, but Shakespeare's way up there. <laughs> Did it ever occur to you to study music? I studied a little bit. I, uh, you know, I took piano lessons, I studied music theory, I studied, you know, advanced studio works so that I knew how to run an actual studio and do engineering stuff. Um, but in terms of, like, studying a particular... Like in college? Yeah, yeah, no, they, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's where I studied. I studied all that stuff in college. Um, oh, was like funny, electives? Though. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So I did all those elective courses on my own. The funny thing is, I took enough classes to have a music minor. But I didn't play one classical instrument well enough to do a performance. Oh my gosh. So I was like, I could DJ a show. And they're like, ha, 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 that's so cute. No. <laughs> so cute. So no music minor for me. 
so that was my uh, that was my you know basically collective music knowledge was just whatever I taught myself at college and yeah. took in those little classes. And after you graduated, you come straight back to LA. Yeah, three winters on the East Coast was more than enough. I, you know, <laughs> I was an LA boy, and when I graduated, I was like, "Hey, get away from my parents, man!" Went to the East Coast, had one winter, was like, "Whoa." What the fuck? And then got home was like, I'm never leaving the West Coast again. And uh, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then pretty, do you remember like how your early remixes even like started gaining momentum? Yeah, they just kind of got, I mean, to be honest with you, this was at a time when it wasn't like 5,000 people getting like into EDM. It's like right? When you guys... Yeah, 2010, to, great memory. 2009, 2010 was definitely when we were starting to put out stuff that was like getting recognized by blogs. I mean, a lot of it, I will say, had to do with the fact that we were such active participants in blog culture in the first place. Like, I, you know, back then I was just, I was a blog hound. I was like, every day when I wasn't doing my homework, I was getting back home just being like, oh. all right, salacious sound, okay, disco dust, okay, you know, <laughs> let's open up Stony Rose, okay, let's open up Gotta Dance Dirty. It was just like tabs after tabs after yeah. tabs of like, you know, different blogs and just downloading music, commenting, trying to like contribute to the scene and be part of it. To the point where, you know, when we wanted to submit music, they knew who we were. Oh, wow. Not because we were, you know, talented, just because they were like, oh, yeah, we know these dudes. Let's at least give them a fair From shake. From your comments, or did you actually form a relationship with them? A little bit of both. I mean, you know, so the uh, the big uh, L.A. indie blog, Gotti Dance Dirty, I don't know, I feel like calling them indie blogs unfair, but uh, Gotti Dance Dirty, they used to throw a party in L.A. called Control. And that party still exists. I think Gotti Dance Dirty is just kind of separated from it now. But back in those days, I went to Gotti Dance Dirty every fucking weekend and that's where I met people like oh. Bones, Trevor Bones, that's where I met Jonah Berry, that's where I met like you know Mr. White who's now just white with three eyes, uh, Ryan Jaso, all those people who are now like staples of this scene and people who really gave us a fair shake back in the day and I think the fact that we were just honest dudes who weren't causing a lot of trouble, who weren't getting mm -hmm. fucked up all the time and who were just you know there to have fun and genuinely wanting to contribute to the scene I think they just appreciated that about us and we're yeah. like, look, even if these guys aren't that great, they're not causing a huge bit of trouble or anything, so like, <laughs> let's just give them a fair shake and, you know, I think that's truly how it started. Yeah. Do you L think you would be able to get to where you are now if you didn't live in LA? I don't know if I would have wanted to, to be honest with you. I think being around so much of electronic music and having the access to all these shows is really what got me into the idea of trying to become a DJ. Mm -hmm. I think I probably would have tried to get more into like filmmaking with my friends because we were also making a bunch of stupid movies back then or settling into like being a teacher like you were saying like with my English major if I was you know not from LA I probably would have pursued that a little bit more yeah but the fact that we had access to so many of these shows it really made the idea like so appealing and so much fun and it was just like that's what I want to do I want to go up there and DJ that thing that looks like so much fun fucking A and you yeah. know being able to pursue that in a city that was so uh, where that was popping off so much, I think was a huge part of that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. How do you start getting in contact with Fool's Gold and everyone? Actually, that's so funny because that was, I feel like getting in contact with Fool's Gold was almost a kind of like, why haven't you done it yet kind of thing. Because by the time that we were even talking about getting in with Fool's Gold, we were already with our, we were already with our manager, Mike Power, who we love, already with our agent, John Jung, who we love. AM and, only. Huh? AM only. AM only, yeah. now Paradigm. Um, but yeah, we were with AM only and stuff. And we had talked about how we loved the aesthetic of Fool's Gold. Atrax, one of my personal heroes. Um, it was just like, I, it was like, at that point it was a dream. It was like, God, I would love to release on Fool's Gold. And then our agent very bluntly was just like, okay, well then send them some music. And we were like, we can't just like, we can't just like send them music. And he was like, yes, you can just send them music. <laughs> 
just do it, stop being a baby. And so that's what we did. So we sent them two tracks off of our first EP that was called Assembly Line. Do you remember what and year Nick, that was? 2013. Okay. 2013, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Assembly Line came out in 2014. And um, our next one after that, um, Transit, came out in 2016. So yeah, it was, 20, it was 2013 that we started the communication about it for it to come out in 2014. So 2013, we're talking to Nick Catch Dubs. We send him a couple tracks. And then John, our agent, actually puts us on a couple shows with like doing support for Nick Catch Dubs. Oh. We played a show with him in Chicago. We played a show with him. I'm trying to remember where else. We played a couple. I think it was like Arizona. Either way, we played a couple shows with Nick Catch Dubs and got to talk to him more, bro down a little bit and realize that like he's pretty chill. He realizes we're a little chill. So we all get to kind of like, you know, like, oh hey, you know, like we buds now, like what's cute? And then he listens to the tracks. He's like, these are really cool. Let's start putting something together. And then, you know, we committed mistake number two, which was we didn't have an EP yet. We didn't have anything done. Oh. We had the two tracks. So we were like, oh my God. Wait, he, he likes the two songs. Oh my God. <laughs> what are we gonna do? We gotta make the, we gotta make, oh my God, we're gonna make more songs. And so we had a bunch in the bank, but then we had to pare down whatever was there to yeah. a five track EP, is what, which is what we gave them. And that whole process took us a little while. Mm. Finishing, paring down tracks, all that point. Like, we started the conversation in 2013. We could have ended the conversation in 2013 if everything was done. If we had stuff like the album art already decided, if we had all the tracks done, if we had everything mastered, blah, blah, blah. But, like, we were just young and stupid and we just didn't have it ready yet. So, um, we, sp we just basically scrambled for the next, like, three, four months just, like, making music, finding our best tracks. We probably axed, like, six or seven tracks that we were going to put on that EP oh. in that time just because we were like, no, 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 man. It's our first release of Fool's Gold. It's got to be sick. This has got to be the best thing we've ever done. It's got to be dope. And um, I think it was for the time. I think, you know, yeah. when, we put, when, we put those, when we put those five tracks out, they were definitely five of our best songs that we mm -hmm. had ever made at that point. For sure. What about Ian's personality? Did you realize that you wanted to be in a duo with him? Hmm. I mean, Ian is like the style king. Like, you know, he is someone that I've always looked to for what's cool, what's hip. He is so in tune with, you know, the world around him and the, you know, what is basically what is cool that I'm always defaulting to him in certain scenarios where, you know, I accept the fact that I'm a pretty nerdy dude. I got, a, I got a particular lane of things that interest me. And sometimes those things are not what's super popular to the rest of the world. And sometimes he can be like, you know, Daniel, if you were to put this energy into making hip hop beats, you could make something out of it. And I'd be like, no, man, I like new metal. I only <laughs> want to listen to like Mars Volta and Tool all day. Like that's all I want to do, man. Let's just, can we make that music? He'd be like, Daniel, no, <laughs> let's, let's not do that. And I was like, all right, you know, maybe you have, maybe you have the right idea here. So. Ian has, I mean, and he's my best friend. I love that guy to death. We've been friends since we were 13 That's years old. crazy. And so, you know, just the fact that we've been friends for so long, that we work well together, that, you know, he has such a good eye and a good ear into what is hot and what is cool and what's going to be cool. I almost trust him inherently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you think you've grown as a person since when you started? I mean, shit, man. The game will force you to grow. The game will teach you so much so quickly. Um, I think I'm definitely a lot more cautious with my optimism. Um, I'm a lot more careful with my words. I'm a lot more careful with who I talk to and who I consider close relationships with, which I'm not like super proud of, but it's just the fact that, you know, 
so often you can think you get into a close relationship with somebody or you think you're so close to like an awesome goal and then it's just like, oh, nope, it's gone. Somebody changes their mm -hmm. mind. Oh, well, it's over. It's one of those things where like I would put so much of my heart into something yeah. and just be destroyed or defeated when it Same. didn't work out. And unfortunately, <laughs> like that's life. Yeah. So that will teach you to grow and also teach you to be a little bit more reserved with not just like all your work and nothing wrong with putting all your eggs in a basket, mm -hmm. but at the same time, just having a little bit more of a global view of what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. So that is a way that the game has really made me grow the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Last question. Please. What do you want to be remembered for? That's a great one. Being honest. Mm -hmm. Being honest and being nice. Because I feel like so much of the, you know, <laughs> if it's not the muscle remix, <laughs> it's not the muscle remix. It's just that being nice, being honest, and being good people is always a better path than stepping on anyone, than being rude, than using, you know, using your power against somebody. It's always better to work together and come to good conclusions and come to conclusions that suit everybody than it is to just push somebody away in favor of what you want. Yeah. So if I want to remember anything, it's just that piece of advice. Work together, be nice, be kind to everyone. It'll serve you so much more than trying to, you know, sway power or, you know, swing the big one around and be like, well, you know, hey, let's just do it my way because blah, blah, blah. It's just like, you know what? Just work together because it'll work out so much better for everybody. Yeah, I love that. I think you're the first person who ever said, like, to be remembered for being honest. So. I'll take that. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you so much. That's great. Hi, guys. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I'm here with Ian of Gladiator. <laughs> so you were born in L.A.? Or? Yep. yep. Born and raised. Uh... Yeah, lived here my entire life. All my family is here. Um, me and Dan went to high school together, so that's how I know Dan. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this is home for yeah. me. Your so. parents were born here as well, or? Yeah. Yeah, they were. Where in L.A.? Uh, I grew up mostly down in, like, kind of the View Park area, um, but I live in the Valley now, and that's, like, where we went to high school. So, kind of all over, and, like, my grandparents live down in the View Park area, so I go see them a lot, so... Um, yeah, like yeah. kind of all over the city. What is it kind of like seeing LA grow? Like, I think when you're growing up, like electronic music wasn't even that popular, right? No, not really. I mean, my exposure to electronic music happened when I was in college, actually, um, and I went to college in Connecticut. Um, but w so when I came back, like during summer breaks and stuff, it, it was when uh, electronic music was really starting to take off, when like Crookers was really popping. Mm. And like um, Jack Beats, you know, they're still around, but that was like when Jack Beats was really going and um, stuff like that. Like the, the Day and Night Kid Cudi remix um, that Croakers did had like just come out. And so that was my first real foray. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is cool. I like yeah. this. Cause I'm most, I'm like a hip hop head. That's what I grew up oh. listening to. So I guess like hip hop and more like indie bands were more popular in LA back then. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right. But, um, we've got a duck down here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so electronic music started popping off, and we went to EDC, I think 2010, the last one that was here in LA. Mm -hmm. And that was when I really saw, like, how big electronic music oh. could be. And so that's what really made me want to get into it. Because I had been DJing before that, but I was just DJing hip hop and top 40 stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah. so yeah, it's been crazy to see how like LA has kind of become the hub for the electronic music scene and how it's just grown and gotten huge over the years. So I remember like we would go to Avalon every Friday for Control, you know, back then, and like that was like the really the kind of the only place you could go see electronic music here. 
it's crazy now. There's like a million clubs and festivals and stuff. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's on the radio now. It's like, it's crazy. So you grew up listening to more hip hop stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you remember who showed you like hip hop initially? Uh, my mom for sure. Oh. Because uh, when I was little, you know, I'd be riding in the car with her and she'd be listening to like Tribe or like the Fugees. Damn. Um, and a lot of R&B stuff too, like Erica Badu and stuff like that. So I feel like that's where I got a lot of my early music education from is for my mom for yeah. sure. Yeah. What does she do? Uh, she works at Disney actually. What? Yeah. So doing what? She works at Disney Channel, like doing like talent relations and stuff with like the kids on the on the TV shows. Oh, that's cool. For like years? Yeah, she's been there oh, for wow. like thirteen or fourteen years, I wanna say. Damn, so, that's for, cool. For a long time, yeah. It's cool. She yeah. really likes it and then I get to go to Disneyland for free, <laughs> so like that it works out for yeah. everybody. Yeah. How about your dad? Uh, my dad lives up in Seattle. Um, he I don't have as great of a relationship with my dad. Because um, my parents got divorced when mm. I was really young, um, so yeah, he lives up in Seattle with his uh, with his wife. He's remarried. Um, I don't really talk to him that often, to be honest. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Was the was there a divorce really difficult for you when you were young? I was so little when it happened. Oh. To be honest, like I've only really known just like being with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but in more recent years, as I've gotten older. You know, my dad has reached out and tried to foster a relationship, and you know, I'm like kind of open to it. We're 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 figuring it out, but yeah. it's just to be perfectly honest, just kind of awkward. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't want to be petty or bitter about mm. it because I just don't have time for that. Yeah. And it's just a waste of energy. So, you know, we're we're working on it. We're mm -hmm. working on it. How did you describe yourself back then, growing up? Hmm. I would say, I guess I, like, pretty friendly and outgoing. I guess I never had a problem making friends, but also <laughs> kind, <laughs> kind of clueless in terms of other social areas. Like, looking back on, like, some of the stuff I wore in high school, which I thought was just so tight, I'm like, what was I thinking, was dude? Like, I okay, I had this one pair of jeans that were, like, stripes with like a bunch of different kinds of denim it was like four different like shades oh of denim God. on the same pair of pants and I thought they were the tightest jeans ever and I wore them a lot and then I like saw an old picture and I was like what the fuck was I thinking like they're the ugliest jeans I've ever seen so that like you know there's some definitely questionable fashion moments yeah um, but I mean I think everybody does that you know when you're growing up you think it looks great and then you go back and you're like wow what was I thinking mm -hmm. but you know you live and you learn, <laughs> and I think I'm doing a, a, a little bit better job now, so, you know, I think it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Were you into school back then? Yeah, I was always pretty into school. I liked reading a lot and stuff. Um, oh, like, was English your favorite subject? No, I was more into science stuff, oh, so like that's biology. Cool. That's, that's what I majored in in school, too. So, um, yeah, I, I was always pretty into, into school yeah. and science and stuff. Um, it's, it's funny cause you know, a, a lot of people that I went to school with like hated doing homework and stuff and doing the reading yeah. and they were like, oh, I didn't do any of that stuff. And so we'd have like quizzes or whatever yeah. and everybody like, oh no, I like didn't do the reading. I'm like, dude, it's like 20 minutes worth of reading. Like just yeah. do it. I don't know. So that I always thought was funny how people were like, you know, oh, I like, I didn't do the homework or like, oh, it's so hard to like study for this stuff. And it's funny though. Cause like I was like that until I got to college. And then I was like, oh, wow, this is, like, way harder than oh high school. And I feel like a lot of people had the opposite experience, actually. Mm -hmm. That they were like, oh, my high school is so much harder than college. And for me, it was, like, kind of the opposite. So I don't know. 
But, um, yeah, it was interesting. But I, I did like school. Yeah. Um, and it's, just learning is always tight. I think you can yeah. always make yourself better and grow mm-hmm. and expand your Did your horizons. mom kind of push you to do well in school? Yeah, she did. Um, I mean, I think most parents do. But it was important for, for my mom to see that I was doing well in school. Um, so, like, I never really got, like, bad grades or oh, anything. Wow. I was always, like, at least, like, pulling yeah. B's and stuff. So, yeah, you know, she pushed me to yeah. do well for sure. So, we're also, you were also driven yourself and you wanted to get, like, the high grades and you, like, push yourself academically. Yeah, yeah. If definitely in, like, certain subjects. Like, math, I hated math. So, for that, I would just be happy with what I got. But, like, for science stuff, especially, like, the biology stuff, like, I really wanted to do well because, to me, it was just so interesting. And I really wanted to understand it. Yeah. So. What about biology that you love so much? Um, just understanding how the human body works, especially. Like, it's, to me, it's like we're, like, living machines almost. It's insane. Like, your body can rebuild itself and, like, take care of itself and do all these incredible things. And just understanding how that worked was, uh, well, are those chickens? That's crazy. <laughs> 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 wow, okay. People just got chickens in their front yard. That's sick. Um, but yeah, that was always super interesting to me. So like I took an anatomy class in high school and, uh, that was like one of the most fascinating things I've ever done. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I just really love that. Where do you think you even got that interest from? Because your mom isn't like into science. I honestly have no idea. It just kind of like happened over the course of my school career. I want to say maybe around fourth or fifth grade is when I really started getting interested in that. And that's when like biology became my favorite subject. Yeah. For sure. Were you able to see, like, a career in it? Um, maybe. Like I said, I majored in biology, but then, you know, we started doing music, so I kind of fell by the wayside, which I'm sure my mom is stoked oh. about. But <laughs> so you never even, like, looked into, like, what, like, what not, you could do as a job if you did, like, study biology? Honestly, not really, because we, yeah. we started doing this music stuff. Oh. But, I mean, I still have it, you know. And it's definitely something I think about maybe, like, later in life I might pursue something in that field. Um, yeah. You never know. We'll see what happens. Why did you decide to go to a school on the East Coast? Uh, I had never left California before, really. And so I wanted to experience something different. Yeah. Um, I had, like, never, you know, been to New York or Boston or anything like that. And, you know, once I went to college in Connecticut, I had the opportunity to go visit those places. Um, Wanted to see snow and just experience something different. And wanted to just get away from California. Just put myself in a place I'd never been. So, yeah, it was a dope experience. I met a lot of lifelong friends there. Uh, had my first real winter, which was a <laughs> yeah, interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was cool, you know, and I feel like it made me a better person and just opened up my horizons. And it's just all about experiencing new things. Yeah. Did you take any, like, electives or, like, minors in music? Because I know Dan did. I took a uh, music theory class, um, and that was about it. And it was it was tough because I don't really have any like formal music training, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to give myself at least like a basic understanding, so that's why I took that class. Yeah. Um, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. Everything else just like science classes. Do you do instruments back then? Um, I took some guitar lessons when I was younger and in high school. Uh, for me, just like practicing and sticking with it was, <laughs> was tough, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, if I had stuck with it, I'd probably be pretty nasty at guitar by now, but I just, I didn't have the dedication. Was music a big part of your, like, big part of your life when you were in college? Did it start to, like, creep up onto you that you, like, really love? Because, like I said, I started DJing and stuff at the end of high school, 
Um, it started with me just doing like, um, we had a little radio station on our campus, so like during lunch I would make mixes to play. And then I would do like the school dances and stuff, and so that mm. parlayed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, and, like me and Dan were like, we were making mashups and stuff together. So that's when I really started getting yeah. into DJing and making music and stuff. And when we went to college, I was like, okay, well, I want to DJ parties on campus because mm -hmm. nobody's really doing that. Um, so that's how I got into it. Yeah. Um, Were you kind of known on campus for like being the DJs? Then? Yeah. Yeah. So pe you would just like walk around, people were, like knew who you were. Or, like they just knew that you did. The, the school I went to was pretty small. Yeah. Um, it was only like, I think like 3,000 people undergrad. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a small school. But um, I mean, I was definitely the guy who was like DJing all the parties and stuff. Um, and then, but it's funny, like as I got older, like by my uh, senior year, there are a million DJs. Oh. <laughs> but when I first started, like me and my roommate were the only ones. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like paved the road. <laughs> exactly. We like literally did. Yeah. What um, was the turning point that you realized that you wanted to? I guess like do your own, like produce your own stuff, or even like remix, other than like DJing. Yeah, so, like I said, we started out making mashups and stuff, and that's what led us into DJing. But then, once we started DJing, I was like, oh, like, let's try remixing something or, like, putting our own beat behind this acapella that we found, you know, instead of just putting it on top of another song. So we started making remixes, and then, like I said, electronic music really started to blow up around that time as well. So we were just like, let's start remixing stuff we like downloaded reason and we're just making remixes and started throwing them up on soundcloud um and we were doing that for like a year or two while we were still in school and then i want to say maybe 2010 uh when Moomintone started coming up we started we first heard that and we're like what is this like mm -hmm. this is insane so we started making like Moomintone edits of a bunch of songs or remixes and then we started putting those up on SoundCloud and that's when we started to gain a little bit of you know traction yeah. and that's kind of where everything started for us. Um, what was the SoundCloud scene like back in like 2009-2010? It was a wild west you could literally just put up anything you wanted it didn't matter stuff like almost never got taken down it's like not nearly as like organized yeah. and professional as it is now because back then that was really like you know there was no Spotify there's no Apple Music. Yeah. Um, people weren't like selling their music on iTunes or anything like that yet. So that was kind of really the only place you could do it. And that's where a lot of people got their start. Mm -hmm. And people are still getting their start now. You see what's happening with rappers and stuff like, um, you know, like Lil Yachty or, or 21 Savage, even they all started on SoundCloud. So it, it was crazy back then because, you know, now if you want to put out a song, you have to have the marketing plan yeah. and the release date and the schedule. And we're like, oh, we got to drop the visual first and then it's going to come on this day and then we got to make sure it's all linked up with all you know our different profiles and accounts but back then it's you just throw it up on soundcloud and whatever happens happens you know? yeah are you able okay? to um like start establishing relationships off soundcloud back then like were people like reaching out like you know how oh, there's definitely. lots of friends from soundcloud mm -hmm. yeah i mean we were sending messages to people people were sending us messages on soundcloud you know, oh, I really like your music, or like, you know, maybe let's work on something in the future. But like I said, back then, that was when we were really just getting into production. So, um, 
our skills are a little shakier at the time. <laughs> but we definitely got in touch with a lot of people that way. But I think Twitter was even be oh. better for that, for sure. Do you remember who were the early people that you connected with? Uh, Loud Pack, for yeah. sure. Um, early people back in the day. Hmm. I mean, a lot of the movement zone people, so like, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, for sure. Valentino, we've known for years. Oh. We've known Valentino for a long time. Um, and then, you know, Chad from Brownies and Lemonade is like one of our best friends. So. Oh, that must have been the very early beginnings of Brownies then. Oh, Brownies wasn't even a thing back then. Oh, so it was just like him. Yeah, okay, he, but... he, I mean, he's been a DJ for, for years. Yeah. Um, so, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, Floss, we got in touch with them pretty early on. Yeah, that he was, was also early on SoundCloud, yeah. Yeah, so that was big for us. Um, that was, like, one of the first, like, big artists that really started to, like, you know, pay attention to us and listen to our music. So I think uh, they put GameCube Nintendo in the first band mix. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, the first time anybody had, like, played one of our songs. So that was a big moment for us, for sure. Yeah. And were you doing... Like, after you graduated, you came back here. Yeah. Were you working other jobs, like, doing music on the side, or...? Oh, yeah, for sure. I was just doing random part-time jobs. Yeah. Um, and we were just making music on the side. Do you remember so. what those jobs were? One of them, I worked at, like, a post-production company. Just, like, doing random shit, like, <laughs> in the back room. Um, and then I worked at Radio Disney, actually. Oh. For a while. That's cool. Um, it wasn't anything tight. <laughs> I was literally answering the phones, like, it. talking oh. to little kids, or just, like, sitting at a computer putting in the song requests, like, oh, yeah, 17,000 people want to hear Miley Cyrus again, like, you know? Again. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, it, you know, it's cool. Yeah. What would you say was the first thing that, like, gained you momentum? Um, or, like, something that allowed you to, like, quit your job and focus on it full oh, time? Oh, okay, for sure. Well, when we got our agent... I think that's when it really took off in terms of we could do this full time. Um, but it's crazy how it all worked together. So I went to college with our agent. That's how I met him. He's my roommate in college. Oh, John. John Jung, yeah. yeah. Shout out Am Only, shout out Paradigm. John <laughs> Jung, you're the man. Um, so that's how I met him. And honestly, if I hadn't gone to that school or if I hadn't met him at school, like my life would probably be completely different. Damn. But, uh, you know, things work out the way they work out. So, yeah, we, you know, he, he was a year ahead of me. He graduated while I was still in school and while we had started doing music stuff. So he got his internship at AM Only, like, right after he graduated. And then he got the job, like, I don't know, I want to say, like, eight months to a year later. But he was, like, in the, in the shit, like, you know, doing all this work. And I would just send him our music or, like, send him stuff and he would give us help and advice and he really helped us out a lot in the beginning because we had no idea what we were doing mm -hmm. we were just like making songs and putting them up on soundcloud yeah. and like hoping something would work out you know so he really helped us a lot in the beginning and it got to a point where we had built up enough of like a name and a buzz for ourselves that he was like okay you know i think i want to pick you guys up as one of my artists um and so he did yeah and that's when everything really changed, I want to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you think the songs that you have made has changed since the early ones you put out? Well, we've definitely gotten better at making music, <laughs> I want to say. But I think a lot of it in the beginning was just us trying to figure out our sound mm. and our style 
and what kind of stuff we enjoyed about making music and how to effectively get all those ideas down into you know the track we're working on so I think now it's just we know what we like doing and what we're good at and we we have like kind of a more defined sound or style I yeah think now for sure do you remember yeah. the moment that you realized you found your sound I don't think there's ever like a specific moment mm -hmm. but I think it just comes with looking back over like the more recent stuff versus the early stuff you can hear and feel the difference I think but I want to say maybe well I feel like you're always getting better and evolving but I want to say maybe within the last two or three years I felt like there was definitely a big like shift yeah for sure yeah. do you remember the influences that helped you craft that sound in terms of electronic music I mean really look up to dudes like GTA like their stuff is so top-notch um, and I mean, you know, Loud Pack, like Ryan and Kenny really helped us a lot too because they're, you know, incredible musicians. Um, and I think they, in the early stages, they definitely helped us out a lot. Um, just giving us like tips and, and helping us out, like, because like, like I said, we don't have a, really that much like formal music training. It's all just kind of figuring it out as we go along. Um, so they definitely helped a lot other influences uh Wolfgang Gartner for sure because mm. when we first started we were doing way more like house stuff or attempting to so <laughs> <laughs> so um definitely his stuff a lot I'm trying to think who else more more recently guys like you know Jono he's amazing mm -hmm. uh Slumberjack I think mm -hmm. they're some of the best producers yeah in the game right now they're incredible uh, and then like Josh Pan mm -hmm. fucking beast Yep. So I just I just like listening to all different kinds of music like that and, and drawing little bits and pieces from it. And like I said, I listen to a lot of rap stuff too. So like, you know, Metro I think is one of the greatest producers ever. And then guys like Big Head doing like the little pump stuff, like that's incredible mm. too. So yeah, I like to draw inspiration from all those different places and kind of take little bits and pieces to inform the kind of stuff I want to make. But... Yeah. 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 What about Dan's personality? Did you realize that you wanted to be in a duo with him? Um, well, like I said, like we went to high school together. So before any of this yeah. music stuff, he's just been my best friend for like forever. Yeah. And we both really got into this music at the same time. And we'd be like, yo, have you heard this? Or like, let me play this for you. It's like, oh, you got to check out this mix I just heard. Or, you know, I'll try out this transition. I just tried in my room. It's crazy. Yeah. So... That, it was just really organic, yeah. you know? We were both really passionate and interested about it, and it happened at the same time, so mm -hmm. it just, it felt natural. Dan is like the, the, well, A, he's the nicest person I've ever met, and I know people say that all the time, but Dan is literally the nicest person I've <laughs> ever met. There's not a mean bone in his body. Um, and he's, he's really friendly and outgoing, and he's super easy to get along with. And, you know, that's why we've been friends for, you know, like almost 20 years at this point. Yeah. So... Yeah, he's the best. I love that guy. Yeah. Um, since you've been doing like Lydia for so long, did you ever have? Did you ever like worry about like falling off? Or because like electronic music has changed so much like throughout those seven years. Definitely. I mean, I think most people have that kind of concern in the back of your their head. I think somebody says they've never thought about that. They're probably lying. But at the same time, you know, you can't 
get wrapped up in that or get caught up in that because it's gonna, I think, ultimately affect the product that you're putting out. If it's coming from a place of like desperation or fear, like you never want to be making music like, oh, I have to make something mm -hmm. like this or like that to like stay relevant because that's just you're setting yourself up for a failure that way. Yeah. You have to. It has to come from a, a pure place, I think. Um, but I mean, to be perfectly honest, like yeah, there are times where I'm like, oh, like how much longer are we gonna keep doing this or like. Do I want to do something else? But it always just comes back to, I love music so much and I love mm -hmm. doing this. So, I mean, I'm not going to give up until yeah. somebody tells me I have to stop. Yeah. You know? Did you feel like you had to tweak your sound to like be up to date for the current times? Because seven years mm -hmm. has been a bit. I mean, our sound has definitely changed. Like I said, yeah. when we first started, we were doing like weird, shitty electro house and then Moonbatone and then that kind of transition into trap. And that's kind of what we're, we've mostly been doing. But, I mean, our tastes are always changing because we like more than just one kind of music. So we're always interested in making all different kinds of stuff. But I think to be successful, you definitely have to be able to evolve and adapt. And, you know, while retaining your core ideology, apply it to maybe what's new or what's, what's fresh or find your own way to make something new or fresh. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. What would you say have been the biggest challenges for Gladiator? Mm. I think one of the biggest ones was just finding our, our sound and identity in the beginning. Um, that was for sure, I think, a challenge. And then I think another one just always like pushing ourselves to, to do something bigger and better that we haven't done before. That's something we always try to do, is to just do something we haven't done before. Yeah. For me, I would say sometimes staying inspired especially when you hit a little bit of a, a slump or a writer's block when you, you're trying to come up with new stuff and it's just not clicking. It's really, it can be easy to get frustrated and be like, oh, I just like I'm over it or I don't feel like it, you know? But you gotta kind of power through that. And I think sometimes that frustration can be the source of something great if you know how to channel it mm -hmm. the right way, yeah. How do you think you've grown as a person since when you started? Um, I'd say the biggest thing is just getting to travel all over the world and see all these amazing places that I never thought I would even be able to go to. So that just opened up my eyes to how much amazing stuff there is out in the world, you know? Um, and then, I mean, I, I feel like it's just made me obviously a better musician because uh, when you see all the other great stuff that other people, you know, your peers are doing, it makes you want to be better and it makes you want to push yourself. So there's that. Um, but yeah, I, I would say just getting to see how much great stuff there is out in the world that I never would have be, been able to experience otherwise, mm. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last question. What do we want to be remembered for? Uh, like me personally or just like Gladiator or, or both? I think both could be interesting answer, maybe like two answers. Okay. Gladiator-wise, I want people to just remember that DJing is really important for us, and that's what we're very passionate about. We started as DJs before we even started making music. So I just want people to remember that we were really good DJs, and we always, you know, tried to go out and kill it every time we played a set. And then we made some pretty decent tunes, too. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, personally, um, I think it's just always... I, I, I want to be remembered as... I guess I just wanted to leave a positive impact on all the people that I've come in contact mm, with, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, I think I always try to project positivity 
Yeah, I guess I just want people to be like, you know, Ian was a, he's a nice guy. He's a good dude. Yeah, you know? I like that you guys actually had similar <laughs> answers, so no wonder you guys are a best friend duo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I yeah, love that. Of course. <laughs> Bye, guys.